0: You are Locked On Pit, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Panthers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Panther Nation, welcome back to another episode of Locked On Pit, your daily podcast covering the Pittsburgh Panthers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Every day, I'm Nick Fairball. You can follow me at Nick underscore Fairball on Twitter. I write for Pittsburgh Sports. Now about Pitt, I'm a broadcaster for the WPTS student radio station, and I work as an ACC Network production assistant. Today on Lockdown Pitt, we have Eric Kane of Lockdown Vols to preview just what the Vols bring to this matchup on Saturday. And we will also break down Randy Waldrum's group at Ambrose Urbanic Field. What are the expectations for the women's soccer program? All coming up on Locked On Pill. All right, Panther Nation, welcome back to another episode of Locked On Pill. Let's get the show on the road. But before that, Shout out to our title sponsor, Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. All right. And welcome in today, Eric Kane of Locked On Vols. Eric, how are you doing today, man?
1: Hey, man, doing well. Looking forward to the game coming up, man.
0: Yeah, big type of game here for both teams, Pitt and Tennessee. And I, I kind of want to talk about that for Tennessee. I mean, What are the stakes for Tennessee, for Pitt? This is a must-win game. They want to have that breakthrough season. And Josh Heupel's first season, I mean, what is the expectation here for the Vols?
1: Yeah, well, you know, as you get closer to football season, the expectations always seem to get a little higher and higher and higher. But, I mean, realistically, when you look at a team that was 3-7 and last year, they got decimated from the transfer portal, a head coach and his staff getting fired for the cause, I mean, it's a mess, right? And Josh Heupel coming in has a very, you know, tall hill to climb. And so I think anything realistically with, you know, all things considered, I know Pitt is the, the headliner of this, but Tennessee's non-conference schedule this season is so easy. You still have an SEC schedule. So as far as like wins and losses, I think six and six is, you know, right there. That's what you need to attain here in year one. But when you look at this Pitt game, this has been one of the three toss-up games, in my opinion, all season long. I don't have Tennessee beating Ole Miss I don't have Tennessee beating any of the top three rivals in Florida, Georgia, Alabama this year. I just a little too far off, but Tennessee needs to take care of business or needs to, uh, yeah, we'll have a chance in my opinion to maybe get the pit game at Missouri and at Kentucky. And though Pitt is not an sec contest, so many people are, are deeming this as the, as the you know, swing game of the year, you get this one, potentially you can go from six and six to seven and five, and it can be that much better of a year one uh, for Josh Heupel. So, You know, fans are excited, uh, really excited about the Johnny Major Classic. But I think the expectations know that we, you know, Tennessee needs to see improvement, needs to show improvement this year. But Rome was certainly not built in the day.
0: You know, the Johnny Majors Classic, obviously, Johnny Majors has a lot of great memories from both these schools. How is Johnny Majors thought of down in Tennessee? Because I know he's revered up here in Pittsburgh.
1: I mean, to, to put it blunt, bluntly, like a God. I mean, he's he, he's Tennessee's own. You know, he came here and was an All-American, fantastic football player. You know, goes off, gets started in coaching, you know, rebuilds three programs, wins a national championship, obviously, at Pitt, then comes to Tennessee and spends, you know, a decade-plus coaching the Volunteers, his alma mater, uh, and then goes back to Pitt, and that's where he ended his, his coaching career. But everybody – loved and loved still to this day even though he's no longer with us johnny majors that family um it's you know it's it's kind of it's kind of one of your boy type feelings and i heard this phrase the other day and uh, i just found it interesting and maybe i can ask you about it too it's like johnny majors is adored by fan bases you know both these fan bases so much but Someone said, you know, family. It was family with Johnny Majors and Pitt. It was blood for Johnny Majors in Tennessee. I just, you know, both of those comparisons just show you how much love both of these places have for uh, the late, great Johnny Majors.
0: And, you know, that Johnny Majors classic, obviously huge. These teams haven't played since 1983, but there's a little bit of air of familiarity here, at least from the Panthers' side of things. Pitt played UCF a few times, and, and they've seen Josh Heupel, obviously the big game, the Pitt special, Pat Narduzzi talked about that a little bit how do you think the familiarity both not just with Heupel but also you know Pitts faced the defensive coordinator here as well from Penn State so their scheme their schematic familiarity with these teams I mean how do you think that's going to affect this matchup
1: well I think I'll start defensively at least um with, with Narduzzi going up against Tennessee's defense you know Tim Banks didn't call the plays at Penn State. So I saw some of Narduzzi's comments from earlier in the week saying they are going to do a little bit different things. He's familiar with Tim Banks and his work, of course, but he wasn't the main play caller. So I think defensively it'll be a little bit different compared to what he saw. Um, obviously at UCF he wasn't there, but even when you play Penn State. Um, offensively, yeah, I mean, you had – was it, it was a shootout back in 2018, and then in 2019 it was a pit win, what, 35-34. Um yep. So very familiar with the offense, knows the tempo. He knows that Josh Heupel likes to get up there and snap it anywhere from 11 to 14 seconds. So you got to get your defense ready to go. You got to have a lot, a lot of, you know, fresh bodies to to try to rotate in to keep guys fresh when Tennessee rotates out, that'll give you the chance uh, to do that. So I think the familiarity between Narduzzi and Heupel having coached against him twice, knowing what to expect, uh, going on the road down in Orlando, I saw comments from, uh, Narduzzi saying that that was one of the hottest days of his life down there in Orlando a couple years ago, going up against Josh Heupel. It won't be like that on Saturday, but still, I do think that those will play you know big roles for Pittsburgh in this game, going up against Tennessee, two teams that haven't played each other much, but a coach that has squared off against Josh Heupel twice and knows exactly what he's going to get uh, come Saturday.
0: Yeah, and I think that familiarity is going to be very interesting to watch, but I think the one thing that's clear with at least – perception up here in Pittsburgh is that Tennessee's passing offense is just it was not there last week a lot of people feel very confident about that do you blame that more so on what do you blame the passing offensive struggles on is it Milton himself is it schematic is it offensive line is it receivers or is it a little bit of all of those things
1: I think there's plenty of blame to go around I mean you got to start with the quarterback okay you can't start the football game 10 to 12 for 96 yards in the first quarter and then finish the game 11 for 23 with 140 and a touchdown, even the touchdown he threw in the fourth quarter, that was an ill-advised throw. Your wide receiver bellowed you out. You had two open, you had a wide receiver over the middle that was wide open. that could have walked in the end zone. You had a running back in the flat and Joe Milton could have ran it. So y- there's no excuse. You, you can't, you can't just be absent in the passing game for three quarters against a competent football team to whereas, you know, against Bowling Green, you just ran the football and got whatever you wanted to. So Joe Milton has got to get better. Um, He was, I want to say he was eight for nine with passes, you know, between 10 to 14 yards, really sharp in the short to intermediate game. He struggled throwing the football downfield. And I know that's something Tennessee will need to do in order to have a chance against Pittsburgh on Sunday. Now it's no question about his arm. He's got the strongest arm I've ever seen of anybody I've ever covered. Phenomenal arm. Um, Just the accuracy with that arm going 20 yards plus down the field in game one. Again, this is his first game at Tennessee, a little bit of an issue, but, you know, PFF put out their grades and I'm looking at the Tennessee wide receiver grades and no one scored at, you know, they were all below average starters or it, you know, credited as backups. Tennessee's wide receivers didn't have a good game. Uh, I think Tennessee's offensive line didn't help Milton out at times because they got a couple of penalties that really just cut drives down. So I think it was all encompassing, just not a very good day throwing the football, but I will say this, it was game one, Year one of a new coaching staff, new quarterback, new play color. You knew it wasn't going to be perfect, but I do believe it was a little disappointing when it was all said and done. A win that was never a doubt, 38-6, to but I think it was a little disappointing what that passing game looked like uh, when you left the stadium last Thursday night.
0: Great stuff from Eric, and that's only a little taste of what the Vols might have in store for Pitt on Saturday. We'll talk a little bit more about Joe Milton, the potential rushing attack that could give the Panthers problems. And can Tennessee create explosive plays, and how will that offensive line hold up against the Panthers' pass rush? But first, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock and all the parts you need why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating things when you can save time and money when using rock auto rock auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years and their prices are reliably low for every customer go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there how did you hear about us bucks so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the Locked On Hit Podcast. Got a lot to talk about here still with Eric Cain of Locked on Vols. Well, you described the skill set of Joe Milton and, and kind of what the Panthers will run into. What The big play element that Pitt obviously kind of just straddles the line with, with the, their defense, what capability did the Vols show of that last week? Were there opportunities there for big plays, and did Milton just miss them? Or did it not appear that there were anything that could be down the field or explosive.
1: Yeah, there were, I mean, Milton overshots, Cedric Tillman, one of the Tennessee wideouts twice on what would have been uh, easy touchdowns. Tillman got off the line, did a great job of bending back, getting in front of the defensive back and had him beat. And Milton just overshot him, clearly overshot him, by I want to say like 10 yards one time, and then just barely missed him one time in the end zone. So there were chances. I mean, Bowley Green is, as you know, it's, I mean, it's not a good football team. Historically a horrific football team in 2020. So, um, will Tennessee get those same chances against, you know, Pitt's defensive backs. You'd like to think maybe one or two here and there, but it's going to be more of a challenge. Um, I also think that the receivers overall four drop passes uh, didn't help Milton out a lot. And, and Jalen Hyatt, who is a, is a true sophomore and uh, you know, widely regarded as a an SEC breakout player here, a great intangibles. He's a speedster. I mean, he had two, two drops, one for a first down one that would have been a touchdown. And so, Uh, Again, that's why I say the entire, and that's what Josh Heupel said too. It's like, yeah, Joe Milton struggled. He's got to be better. No doubt about it. But the entire passing game did struggle as well. And so, and also one other thing I'll add, I don't know if you've gone back and watched Tennessee into any of the condensed game uh, from last week, but Tennessee was very basic, very vanilla. I mean, it ran the majority of its plays out of one set, right? You can do that against Bowling Green. You can't do that against Pitt. So I do think Tennessee will open it up a little bit. There'll be more opportunities and and hopefully some more things to get Joe Milton kind of going early to where he doesn't fall into this lull that you couldn't seemingly ever climb out of. Now, I will say this too. um, I know I'm rambling on now, but when he is in a lull throwing the football, Joe Milton can flat out run the football, read options, RPO, third and short and goal line. He was incredible against Bowling Green. The challenge will be steeper against Pittsburgh, of course, but his legs can be a difference maker in this game.
0: Yeah, and you talk about that running game, 326 yards of rushing on 64 carries. Teon Evans and Jabari Small, the main running backs there. How do how do Vols fans feel about this running back tandem and, and also how this run game can maybe stack up against Pitt, who is historically one of the better run-defending teams in all of college football?
1: It's weird. You lose Ty Chandler, who's the starting running back as a super senior in North Carolina. Now you lose Eric Gray, who some regard as a first round draft pick coming out after this year. He's now at Oklahoma. And you bring back a veteran who had 26 career carries as a true freshman in 2020 and Jabari Small. I say that with air quotes because it's like you bring back nothing, essentially. But uh, the way this coaching staff spoke about Jabari Small in spring practice, the way this coaching staff has spoke about Tyon Evans uh, in fall camp, Heading into the season, you got the feel that it's like, okay, Tennessee's going to be just fine at running back. It's going to be a a split. It's going to be a timeshare in the backfield between those two guys. You have a true freshman at Jalen Wright, who you probably need to watch out for for Saturday, that can do a little bit of everything as well. He's a speedster. He's a scat back, but he's been focused on running between the tackles uh, in camp and has, has done a nice job as well. So I think Tennessee fans are okay with the run game, and especially, again, it was Bowling Green, but seeing the performance for both of those guys getting over 116 yards averaging 7.3 and 6.3 yards per carry that's what you like to see Um, you know as far as going up against Pittsburgh obviously Pittsburgh is not Bowling Green Uh, Pittsburgh again 93 yards given up on the ground uh, last year uh, against opposing running backs which is incredible it's going to be a challenge but I think it's going to be a great measuring stick you know how good It's not going to come as easy as it last Thursday, but what can you get against this Pittsburgh defense? And, and can this run game really pace your offense as well? It all starts with the run game. Everybody thinks Josh Heupel is just, you know, run and gun. He even said it himself. He said, when we've had the most success in our scheme, it's been because we can effectively run the football and get that first down via the run, you know, just like that to get us going. So I think it will be a tremendous challenge.
0: Yeah. And you talk about, you know, the running game. How about that offensive line? I mean, how do they look? Pitt's pass rush was phenomenal last week. It's been phenomenal. They were great last year. Are they up to the task to, say, guard You know this pit defensive line, even when they're rushing four? And how imposing are they in the run game? Are they more of a run-blocking unit than a pass-blocking unit? Is that what they are?
1: Again, you talk about the running backs look at this offensive line. You lose Trey Smith, who's going to be a starter as a a true freshman, as a rookie for the Kansas City Chiefs. You lose Brandon Kennedy, who was a sixth-year senior at center. You lose Wanya Morris, who is a starter for Oklahoma at right tackle. He played left tackle here at Tennessee. You lose Jameer Johnson, who is a key contributor for Texas A&M. You lose all this experience on the offensive line, and Tennessee's offensive line was just so bad last year. It's just weird because it's like it can't be any worse, right? Tennessee's offensive line this year, it starts from the middle out. Cooper Mays at center, the younger brother of Cade Mays, who's playing right tackle, who's a really, really good player. Cooper Mays was injured against Bowling Green. He's very much questionable heading into the game. If Cooper Mays can't go, that's going to be a big hit for Tennessee because when he went down at the end of the first quarter, it took Tennessee a little bit of time to get used to slotting Jerome Carvin down from left guard to center and then bringing in a reserve guard to take his place. Tennessee's got about six guys they feel good about six to seven guys they feel good about on the offensive line but it's a lot of musical chairs one guy goes down here you might slide a guy over and bring in another guy kind of like what, what, what they did there but um I think this offensive line is going to be okay you're good at tackle with Darnell Wright and Cade Mays Cade Mays can play guard as well you're experienced at a in the interior with Jerome Carvin, who's a senior as well, and and Cooper Mays, who's gotten some time, and, and Javante Spragans, who played a lot as a true freshman in 2020. think they're going to be better against the run, but I don't think they're going to be bad against the pass. This is something that should be worrisome for Tennessee fans. Darnell Wright at left tackle. He's started three years at Tennessee all playing right tackle, or his first two years at least. Now he's playing left tackle. Bowling Green was his first start ever at left tackle at the college level. He did fine. But, you know, Pat Narduzzi is going to be dialing some things up because if I know that, he knows that as well uh, and trying to bring some pressure off the edge.
0: Good to know. And last about this offense, these wide receivers, you talked about how there's a lot of potential here. What is the the lookout of this wide receiver room? And more importantly, you know, Pitt doesn't allow a lot of separation. Where Pitt really gets beat down the football field, it's in those combat catch situations. It's in those contested catch situations. Is that a specialty of this unit? or are they more of those speedsters that try to create separation
1: yeah to be honest with you no that's not a specialty of this unit Cedric Tillman who I mentioned earlier um he's the biggest wide receiver of the bunch six foot three about 217 he's not the fastest but he goes up and they, they try to throw you know 50 50 balls to him and he he'll go up and fight for the ball he is a contested catch type wide receiver Um, The other ones are, are, you know, Javante Payton is long. He's about six foot two. He's long and lines up on the outside. But the other ones are shorter, compact, more speed wide receivers. Bayless Jones, Jalen Hyatt, Jimmy Callaway, Jimmy Holiday, Ramel Keaton, Walker Merrill, some of the names you might hear on Saturday. And the criticism of this wide receiver room through camp is the lack of physicality getting off the line of scrimmage. So if you play press man, And you said it yourself, you know, Pittsburgh prides itself on, you know, not allowing a lot of separation. Well, that's what Tennessee's wideouts have have really struggled with so far in camp and, you know, at at times against Bowling Green. So that's going to be a challenge for Tennessee to try to, you know, gain separation because once you get off the line of scrimmage, you can use for the majority of this group, you can use your wheels and and try to get by because they are fast guys. It's just, you got to have that physicality off a lot of scrimmage to give yourself a chance to do that. So that's kind of what I'm going to be looking for in terms of the past game. And again, if you do that, that's only going to help Joe Milton out as well at quarterback.
0: Great stuff from Eric. You want to check his stuff out, check out locked on balls at locked on balls on Twitter. Follow that. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be on there later this week as well, talking about the pit side of things. And you can also check out some previewing that he's doing of pit and the Vols. On his side, things Follow him on Twitter as well, at underscore e r. E-R. Big time stuff from Eric. He was great. Coming up, we are going to talk a little bit about Randy Waldron's women's soccer group. How good are they, and can they take the leap this year after a very promising 2020 season? If Pitt and Tennessee is going to have you sweating, well, you need to check out Sweat Block. This is a doctor-created, doctor doctor-recommended Type of thing, and it works up to seven days per use dry shirt guarantee. If sweat block doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. It's featured and tested on the Rachel Ray Show by Firefighters, and it's a best seller on Amazon for the past 10 years. Over 13K reviews, manufactured in the USA, and you wear what you want to wear your little secret to confidence everything here this has to be in a toiletry bag it has to be big time everyone can benefit from this whether you're working out whether you're just going out on a hot day it's great if you or someone you love is dealing with this make sure to check out with sweat block get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code lockedon or at amazon and cvs if you are somehow planning to put down some money on this pit tennessee game Negative three and a half spread on bet online ng. Make sure to head over there, it's your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar NFL survivor contest. Open now. It's head to the website. You can use it and sign it up today. Receive your 100% welcome bonus and something really cool tonight. Obviously, the Buccaneers and the Cowboys play. If you put down a wager on that, if you lose, up to 25% can be refunded for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100 from football to basketball to boxing right to your Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers that they have available over there at Online. All right, Panther Nation, welcome back to the Locked On Pit Podcast, getting ready to talk a little bit of women's soccer here with you guys. Very excited about the women's soccer group that Pitt has this season. I think Randy Waldrum has done a really nice job of putting this team together. And here's the thing about this group and what I really wanted to emphasize. It's the talent pool that they're getting, not just from outside, obviously Amanda West and about very two, two very good players that they have gotten. And Amanda West has been phenomenal. Hopefully that injury isn't too bad and she isn't out too long. Uh, she did miss the TCU game, and that's kind of something I do want to go over that TCU game. And what I saw from that, and I thought what I thought were frankly encouraging signs against the number six team in the nation, in TCU there, but they have so much Western PA talent as well on this team. Landy Mertz, Sarah Schupanski, Ellie Caulfield, those young players being added, obviously Mertz a transfer from Dayton, they've been great so far coming into the system, and really already they look as confident as ever. Schupanski has a few goals and assists. Caulfield was really, really hot on that game on Sunday. She was everywhere. She had a few big shots in that first half. She had three alone that were on goal. She was very good. And Caulfield, and that's kind of the interesting thing about those two young ladies, Caulfield from Mars, Schupansky from North Allegheny, some local kind of players that I think that has really been a great investment for Randy Walsh. I think he's noticed that there's a lot of talent here in the Western PA area, for women's soccer and these players are coming and making an immediate impact they're not just you know rotational pieces that are coming off the bench maybe giving a little spark plug these these are starters that are core members to what is an offensive attack that is a blistering one quite frankly very very few teams can slow down and tcu might very well be the best defensive women's soccer team in the nation At least their top five, they are right up there. And Pitt still managed to break through the ice and nearly get a few goals without Amanda West. And I think that's the thing that I really highlighted from it. First of all, Catherine Robinson, I thought, had a great game. I think the goalkeeping from her end was phenomenal. And I think it's a big, big plus for Pitt going forward. If they know they can have a goalkeeper like Robinson in net, someone that is reliable, that can, you know, when the defense falls down a little bit, and Pitt's defense, I think, is their weak point. I I do I think that they do allow a little bit too much penetration through the midfield specifically. You know, on moving set pieces as well, they allow a little bit too much movement and and teams can easily get into the box and, and get in front of the net. I thought Robinson was dealt with that a few times or dealt with a few breakaways where, you know, crossers would come through the box and they would have a nice header or an easy shot and she stepped up to the plate and made a few very nice saves. Listen, TCU has a lot of good soccer players on the team. Grace Collins, Brandy Peterson so many more great players on that team, a lot of all Big 12 players, and Pitt really held up to the challenge, and Robinson specifically did. Offensively, they were a little lethargic coming out of that second half there, which was a little bit of a bummer, you know, it was tied 8-8 up at shots at the half, Pitt looked like they were going to come on and perhaps get the momentum heading into there, and then kind of TCU just scored, and played the possession game for a lot of it, but I do think Pitt, you know, made a lot of fight down the end, and I thought that they had a good repertoire and, and a skill set to where they can beat teams like this as an upset-minded team. I think that's the thing for Pitt. That's not, you know, going overboard with trying to do too much. The team has great ball pressures and great passing. They have the ability to get penetration where it doesn't seem to be possible. And I think that's something that even without a West, it was evident. They have the ability to score from a distance. Caulfield, in particular, has an absolute laser beam of a ball off her foot. She could score from outside the box. That's how strong Elite Caulfield is with her ability to score. And when you just look at what they've done, I do think they need to get a little bit better on their set pieces. I think they look a little lethargic, not always in the right position on corners or on static set pieces. You know, I think they'll try and shoot towards the net a little bit too much. Maybe try to set up something and get into the box and, you know, get someone cutting and and get some cutting action there maybe from the back door, especially up the midfield. Um, I think that that's something that they can work on here. But, you know, Pitt, overall, they're a feisty team. They're a physical team. They clearly want to prove that they are in another tier in this ACC. In the ACC. And ACC women's soccer is a brutal, brutal brutal type of play. It's not going to be easy. Pitt has a lot of ranked matchups, and I certainly can guess that they want to make the NCAA tournament this year. That is probably their goal. Randy Walsh, from trying to complete that comeback, or at least get his team there, and I think they can do it. TCU is a really good team. They're going to be a trouble for a lot of teams down the stretch. They played them hard, one to nothing, and I thought that they got a lot of pressure. I thought that they... Had a few defensive breakdowns, which I think they get a little lackadaisical at times, or overcompensating with the physicality can get him caught out of position, specifically allow that cutting action through the box. But when you have someone like Katherine Robinson who's played like she has, maybe you can afford to be a little bit over aggressive trying to force those turnovers to really make defense be the best offense, if you will, and force those into scoring opportunities on the opposite end. So I thought, you know, Pitt really had an encouraging game and there's so much to to come from this. Leia Pace looks really good. She's probably this one of the team's best passes, although Bout was out of her natural position. And I thought she even played a good game where Amanda West would usually play. But this team has so many options. I didn't even mention a few of them. You know, Chloe Minas had a really nice game as well on Sunday. So, this is really, really promising for this team. And I think that the women's soccer program is really in an exciting place and can, is only going up from here. I think Randy Waldrum knows what he's doing, and he's going to end up really changing this program and the tune around it.